Hi, and welcome to Long Live the Queen, where we talk about the women who made history. And by we, I mean the royal we, because it's just me. This week, we are talking about Anne of Bohemia. This is it, guys, the week we've been waiting for. After getting through the three wives of John of Gaunt, we have finally returned to Anne of Bohemia. Anna Bohemia was born in 1366. Her father was Charles IV, King of Bohemia, King of Italy, and the Holy Roman Emperor, and his wife, Elizabeth of Pomerania. To understand what happens next, we need to discuss the Western Schism. For nearly 70 years, the papacy had resided in Avignon, a papal enclave within France. Because of this location, there was inference that France controlled the Pope. And in 1377, when Anna Bohemia was 11 years old, Pope Gregory XI decided to move the papacy back to Rome. The King of France was not happy about losing the Pope, but Anne's father, Charles, the Holy Roman Emperor, helped Pope Gregory to move back to Rome. After about a year in Rome, Pope Gregory announced that he wanted to return the papacy to Avignon, France, and then he promptly died. The question became, Where should the new pope be elected? Rome pushed for it to happen in Rome, where the pope had died before he could move back to France. And France pushed for the election to happen in France, where the pope had clearly stated he wanted to be. Pope Urban VI was elected. He had been the bishop of Rome. There seemed to have been some pressure put on the cardinals in Rome to elect a Roman to keep the papacy in Rome. There were stories of doors getting busted down and people getting roughed up a bit, like vote for Urban or else. Urban VI may have been elected by cardinals under duress, either because of the duress or Urban's unlikable personality, because he was very unlikable. The cardinals pretty quickly regretted electing Pope Urban. Some of the cardinals retreated back to Avignon and declared a revote for Pope, and then they elected Pope Clement VII. Rome declared Pope Urban the true duly elected Pope, and France declared Pope Clement the true duly elected Pope. Since France was in favor of Pope Clement, England took Pope Urban's side, and because England favored Pope Urban, Scotland took Pope Clement's side. Rome took Urban's side, because Urban was Roman, along with Bohemia, because they shared a king with Rome. Anne's father. And so we have the Western Schism and two feuding popes. In one corner, we have Pope Urban VI, backed by Italy, Bohemia, and England. In the other corner, we have Pope Clement VII, backed by France, Scotland, Naples, Castile, Aragon, and Navarre. Vastly outnumbered, King Charles was interested in solidifying their alliance with England. What better way to do that than a political marriage? Because back then, that solved everything. Or at least they hoped it would. England suggested that their young king would be a good match for King Charles' daughter Anne. France argued that Anne, instead, should marry the son of the King of France, and they could work together to find a solution for the two-pope problem. Later that year, King Charles died, leaving his son the new King of Bohemia. The king is dead. Long live the king. Charles' son Wenceslas decided that England was who he wanted to ally with and he agreed to betroth his sister to King Richard II of England. There was one glaring problem, though. Wenceslas was broke, and he had no dowry for his sister Anne. 
But England wanted to beat France out on this alliance. So they not only agreed to Anne not having a dowry, but England paid Bohemia 20,000 florins, about $4 million in today's money. Because of this, the English saw this as buying a wife from Bohemia. A lot of the king's nobles were also against the match for the same reason. In the local news, she was called a small scrap of humanity. And they thought that was expensive for this small scrap of humanity. In 1382, Anne of Bohemia traveled to England for her wedding. She was delayed by storms and French pirates trying to kidnap her to stop the Bohemian-English alliance. When Anne finally landed safely in England, her ship was smashed to pieces by the storm against the shore shortly after they debarked. The people saw that as a bad omen, that God had destroyed her ship. God did not want Anne in England. Even so, 16-year-old Anne of Bohemia married 15-year-old King Richard on the 20th of January, 1382. Two days later, she was crowned Queen of England. The tournaments lasted for several days, and then the young couple left on tour to visit several abbeys, or as it was called back then, gyration. They left on gyration to visit several abbeys. King Richard was said to be very pious. Some people thought he may belong to the cult of Edward the Confessor. If he did, that would mean he stayed chaste. Whether for that reason or another reason, King Richard and Queen Anne never had children. Richard even named his cousin's husband, Edmund Mortimer, Earl of March, his successor, implying that he had no intention of ever having children. Anne had grown up in Prague. Prague had been a progressive court. They had already begun their renaissance, unlike England, who was still in the Middle Ages. Anne was more preoccupied with parties and fashion than politics, and seemed relatively unconcerned with her lack of an heir. King Richard took being a king very seriously. He was the king who created being called Your Highness. He requested people refer to him as Your Highness, just in case they forgot how much higher than them he really was. And this was the first time that had been put in use. He also required that anyone who looked at him drop to their knees and avert their eyes. And he enjoyed sitting on his throne, looking around court. And if he looked at someone, they were required to avert their eyes and bow. Anne's husband, Richard, took everything about being a king very, very seriously. Except, of course, for having an heir. Anne was described as a godly, intelligent young girl. She also took being Queen of England very seriously. She was not into politics, but she did intercede, begging for leniency for the peasants who had revolted the year before she had married the King of England. Six years into their marriage, the young couple still had no children. It really is unclear if their marriage was ever consummated. The couple was very pious, and it has been suggested that King Richard II may have been asexual or taken a vow of celibacy. King Richard II's uncle Thomas, Duke of Gloucester, and Richard's cousin, Henry Bolingbroke, son of John de Gaunt, along with a couple of other nobles, got together and called themselves the Lord's Appellant, because everything's better with a cool nickname. These nobles were well-respected. One of them, Richard Fitzalan, carried Richard II's crown at his coronation, which is a huge honor. The main power struggle was that King Richard wanted to end the Hundred Years' War. The war was started when King Richard's grandfather claimed the throne of France as his own and not his cousins from the House of Valois. The Lord's Appellant wanted to keep fighting France for the throne. In addition, the king had removed his uncle Thomas and Fitzalan from the council and replaced them with some of his friends. 
This upset not just the nobles that were replaced, but also a lot of other nobles. Nobles didn't like to be reminded that they could be replaced at the king's whim, and especially not by men that they saw as their lessers. The king summoned Gloucester and Fitzalan to a meeting. Gloucester and Fitzalan instead raised an army and defeated the new council, taking the king's favorites captive. No one seemed to remember that this was very similar to what happened in episode one with King Edward II, and that time, all it did was lead to civil war. The Lord's Appellant had what is now known as the Merciless Parliament. The king's favorites were all convicted of living in vice, basically usurping the nobles in the king's favor. You can't make the king like you more than he likes me. That is what they were convicted of. The bishop was spared execution because he was a man of God, but the rest were set to be drawn and hanged. Dozens of retainers, clerks, chaplains, and secretaries were also arrested, tried, and executed. Even family members of the accused were sometimes executed. Richard likely never forgave the Lord's Appellant for this, but he had become little more than their puppet, with Queen Anne having even less power than her husband. Anne had come from Prague, where they were more interested in art and music than war. She would have likely agreed that the nearly 50-year-old war with France needed to end. The Lord's Appellant would have been angry at both halves of the royal couple. When John of Gaunt returned from fighting in Castile, he remained loyal to his nephew, the king, even though John's oldest son and heir had been one of the Lord's Appellant. And King Richard was slowly able to regain power with John of Gaunt's help. King Richard and Queen Anne regained full power by 1389. Richard then set his goals on peace with France, but spoiler alert, it isn't called the Fifty Years' War, it's called the Hundred Years' War. One proposed peace treaty would have greatly increased the territory of Aquitaine, but would also require that the King of England swear allegiance to the French King. New King, same old story. The English refused the deal. In 1394, Queen Anne contracted the plague and died at the age of only 28. They had been married 12 years, almost half of their lives, and had no children together. The king was so upset at her death that he had the palace where she died in, her favorite castle, demolished. It was also said he refused to go anywhere he had been with Anne, the one exception being church. As for Anne's legacy, she may have been a stabilizing force for King Richard. He acted much more unstable after her death. He would punch people and just get into fights. It, she was a stabilizing influence on him. And that is where we will leave it for this week. What did you think of Anne of Bohemia? We don't know a lot about her, probably because during her 28 years, the men of Europe were so extra and took up all the attention of the historians. And she only lived 28 years. I think she was relatively happy, given her environment that she probably wasn't happy in. She really did seem to love and stand by her husband, even when he was a bit arrogant and above everyone else. He probably wasn't an easy man to support. I think she would have enjoyed growing old with Richard, despite his flaws, though. She would have tried to move England closer to the Renaissance earlier, probably because of her experience in Prague as a child. And I suspect that the Hundred Years' War would maybe be the Fifty Years' War or the Sixty Years' War because they both wanted it to end.
You can share your thoughts with me at Long Live the Queen Podcast at gmail.com or on Facebook or Instagram at Long Live the Queen Podcast. Long live to all the modern day queens out there, and until next week, bye.